Hey, one of the core values we have as a church, uh, we call strategic stewardship. And what strategic stewardship, what we mean when we say that is we like uh, to have integrity and purpose for everything that's given at New Hope. And then when we think about who we're going to partner with, as the gospel spreads here in our community and around the world, we want to be very intentional about that. We want to make sure that our vision of being disciples who make disciples fits well with whoever we're partnering with. And so you'll see a list of missions that we support and different people that we partner with as they advance the gospel um, in their particular environment. And so um, another thing that we've launched, so keep that in mind, strategic stewardship is a core value. Another thing we launched recently is called the REACH Initiative, and many have been giving faithfully to that. Well, a part of our REACH Initiative was to develop godly leaders. And the reasoning behind that, what that means is, we want everybody here to know that ministry doesn't take place on a stage. It's not about performing on a stage one hour a week. It's about everyday people taking the extraordinary, incredible news of Jesus and incorporating it into the everyday lives and, and sharing the gospel with as many people as possible. Well, one of the people in our church that takes that very seriously, his name is Mel Seitz. And Mel, uh, he's not here this weekend. His family is out of town, which I think he's grateful for because he'd be shrinking in his seat out of embarrassment that I'm speaking his name from the stage. He just doesn't like attention. He's a real humble guy. But through his work, he met uh, Dr. Lori Bassetti, and uh, he began to uh, hear about the ministry that was uh, burdening her heart. Around that same time, we were trying to think, what are we going to do with the Willie house? Uh, The Willies were a family that had uh, hundreds of uh, foster children live with them in the s- south part of our uh, build our property. You see this blue house. That's the Willie House. So we're thinking as we're expanding our property and thinking, what are we going to do to meet the needs of our community? How are we going to do this? Well, Mel brings this idea. We begin to pray and talk, and uh, Lori brings her ministry idea. We begin to talk and pray and think, and this was birthed out of it. Uh, it's going to take some getting used to, but the Willie House this fall is going to be renamed. It's going to be called the Mountain House, and it's going to serve a very specific purpose that I want uh, Dr. Lori Bassetti to come and share her vision and, and her ministry with you so you can hear straight from her, so you're not just hearing it from me. And so, New Hope, I want to ask you to welcome uh, Lori to our stage as she explains this new ministry. Thank you, Rob. Um, and I'm grateful to be here today, and um, I love the song that you sang this morning that we all sang together, um, Our God is an Unstoppable God, and, and um, nothing is impossible for him. So, and that is just our vision as we step forward um, as so big, and we are just excited to be partnering with you. We have big dreams, and after meeting with your pastors and your elders, we know you guys have big dreams too, big God-sized dreams, and we want to use the Willie House to open the so big um, mountain house maternity home where we will um, show God's love through uh, providing shelter and food for women that are pregnant women that are in need along with their children and will um, be a place that will connect them with um, medical care and um, life skills training um, and most of all um, we want it to be a place where we can know Jesus more and make him known and so we will offer life um, Bible studies for them. We'll uh, take away the obstacles um, that will keep them from church and help them invite them to church, and we will um, connect them with Christian mentors. Um, We just uh, are uh, excited to be part of uh, what the Willie House has been, and we just look forward to being uh, the next chapter. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) 
I'm going to uh, throw, throw you on the spot real quick. Okay. Um, you mentioned in the previous service the number eight. Can you tell them about that real quick? I just yes. thought that was pretty neat. <laughs> so I really enjoy learning the spiritual meaning behind um, the, the numbers, and eight is the number of new beginnings. And that is significant for me because eight years ago, God placed a dream in my heart to help women choose life. Um, and so today is a day of new beginnings for so big for you guys and um, just for the women that will serve. Very cool. So we're excited. Um, I want to encourage you after the service, catch Lori out in our lobby. Uh, she's got a setup that'll give you more information about this ministry, where you can learn more, how do you get connected. And we've got some sign-up sheets. And uh, those sign-up sheets are for you to write your name and your information down because um, if you have a burden, you're like, yes, I'm on board with this. This is right up my alley. I want to serve uh, at New Hope through this ministry. Put your information down, and as opportunities come together, we will communicate with you how you can get connected and begin to serve this incredible ministry. Uh, this is a big deal in our culture and our world, and we're not going to shy away from saying uh, this is a big deal uh, to help people choose life. <clears throat> Didn't catch me the first two. So I want to pray and thank God for opportunities that he brings our way uh, to live his mission. And then after the service, I want to encourage you, catch Lori out in the lobby. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful, truly grateful for opportunities that you bring our way. God, in a world that encourages uh, such uh, evil, negative things, uh, to have a ministry come alongside our church and uh, to live out the gospel message of choosing life, God, I know that there will be kids that are born because of this ministry that will change the world. <clears throat> and we're grateful that a part of New Hope's story is going to be a part of theirs. And so thank you for this opportunity. Um, God, thank you so much for leading us and guiding us, and we can't wait to see what you do because you're the one who deserves all the credit through this great ministry. And we give our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we want... Go ahead, yes. We want everybody here to feel welcome. So take just a minute, stand up, meet somebody you didn't know before you got here, shake some hands, and we'll get started. Hey, if you're a guest with us, again, my name is Rob. I'm one of the ministers here. We're launching a new sermon series um, called Kingdom Life, and we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount all summer long. And uh, we want to answer the big question, is there a way that I can live my life? Is there a life that I can live despite all the storms that might come my way? When they hit, I can still stand. And the answer to that, we think, is yes. And so we're going to explore this great teaching of Jesus uh, over the next couple of months. And we want to encourage you um, to come and be a part of that, to dig in, to begin reading through the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to start in a, a different kind of a way. We're going to begin the Sermon on the Mount with the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the very end of it in order to set the foundation for the beginning of it. Now, this idea came uh, for a couple of reasons. One, some of our staff were reading a book on productivity, which sounds thrilling, doesn't it? And, uh, on, and, and it shares different principles on how to be productive. And one of the principles was, hey, each day that you wake up, fast forward to the end of your day when you're laying down to go to bed and answer this question. What three things do you want to have accomplished when you go to bed tonight? And so think about those three, three things and make sure that throughout your day, whatever else you do, you accomplish those three things. And over time, you'll find yourself accomplishing a lot more. 
Well, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking about it, and I'm starting to read the Sermon on the Mount to study, I begin to think, okay, well, what about like bigger picture than just being productive? What about my, my whole life? If I think about my entire life, when I were to fast forward to the end of my life, and so I want you to kind of do that with me here for a minute. T- take a minute and just picture the end of your life, the very end of your life, whenever that comes, and let's just say you're in a hospital bed. And in that room, you're surrounded by all the people that you love and care about the most. In that hospital room, in the hospital bed. I've said this often from our stage, I want to surround myself while I'm living with the people that will surround my bed when I'm dying. And so picture yourself in that moment. You're in that hospital room, what do you want the mood in that room to be like? What do you want the tone of that experience to be like? What do you want that memory to be like for those that are in the room with you? What do you want uh, the conversations to be seasoned with in those moments in that room? You see, one of the truths that I've come to really believe is this. If you want to leave this life well, you have to live this life well. Say that again. If you want to leave this life well, then you need to live this life well. You can't wait until later. It requires that we do something now, something today. And this is what beginning with the end in mind is all about. We're going to look at the end of this sermon where Jesus tells us, if you want to leave this life well, then live this life well by doing everything I've just taught you to do. And here's why. And that's the passage we're going to look at today in Matthew 7. If you have a Bible, you can get your Bible opened or turn it on and get it ready for uh, Matthew chapter 7. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight into some sermon prep stuff. When I prepare a sermon, here's kind of how it works in my head. Those of you, maybe some of you have preached before or you know preachers, and it might not be the same for everybody, but for me, here's how I work. I read a passage that I'm going to preach on. So I read the passage, and then I read the surrounding uh, context, because I think context is king. Don't email me. I know Jesus is king. I'm talking about Bible study, okay? No emails, all right? I'll forward them all to Jed. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, I read that surrounding passage that's surrounding the passage I'm going to preach on, and I begin to read that to get some context. Then I take a step back. So I read the passage I'm going to read, and I read the Sermon on the Mount. Then you take a step further back, and I read uh, the Gospel of Matthew in preparation for this. You read the whole Gospel, just, hey, where does this fit within the whole goal of what Matthew's trying to get at, and what is he trying to communicate here? Here's where the frustration set in for me. I got so frustrated, I pulled all my hair out, okay? (laughs) That was free. Thanks for coming. Uh, I got frustrated with this passage, because as you begin to look at something, you begin to return to your passage, you find key words that you would do what we call word studies on, and you look back at the original language, and it gives you depth and insight, and when I got into this passage, this particular passage, the word studies didn't do much, because it was pretty plain and simple. I mean, this passage is just so direct, it didn't require a whole lot. Now, what did help is studying the surrounding context a little bit, Right? No word studies, no specifics, no grammatical things in and of the passage, which is really surprising. I was telling David before uh, this, our services started this morning, like I was going crazy because you'd have these great big scholars and they would be writing all these big books on Matthew, right? Because at the very end of the process, you bring in some extra sources and they would have all this stuff. They'd get to the passage we're going to study and it'd be a paragraph. And you'd be like, what? Give me more. I need something. It was just a, it kind of got a little difficult. Until you start studying the surrounding context of the whole passage and you come to realize, no, Matthew's onto something here. And Jesus was really onto something when he spoke what we're going to study today. So I want to set the stage with a little bit of context. A few years ago, we had this statement 
okay, that, that I shared when, when we were preaching through Matthew's gospel. And I think it sets the stage. So we're going to revisit it today. If you're new, it'll be new to you. But I think it's really true. It may sit weird with you when you first hear it, but give me a second to build a case for it. Okay, are you ready? No? Okay, we can wait. Ready? Okay. All right, here's the statement. Jesus didn't come just to save you. And Jesus didn't come just to save me. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. Now, some of you are like, well, Jesus didn't come to save me. That's not what I said. Jesus didn't just come to save you. It wasn't just to save you, and it wasn't just to save me. He came to establish his kingdom. He did come to save you, but he came for a lot more than that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a case, okay? So I'm going to put some passages on the screen. I encourage you to grab your phone, take a picture, write them down, look them up later. We're going to build a case for Matthew's primary theme in his gospel being that of kingdom. Okay? It is Jesus. The umbrella is Jesus. Within that umbrella, it's kingdom. And why that's important, we'll get to in a minute. But I want you to see that the Bible builds this case, not Rob. So let's look at some of these passages. You could start in Matthew 1. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Where is the one who has been born? All right, you, first and second service got you beat. Let me try this again. Where is the one who has been born? King. Of the Jews. It's Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, beginning his ministry, says, Repent, which is a church word. Some of you might not be familiar with it. Let me break it down for you. Repent means rethink everything that you know about life. It, it, some people say it just means turn your life in a completely different direction. Okay, so repent. So rethink everything that you know about life. Rethink it all. Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, rethink everything you know about life, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the Chapter 5, verse 3, beginning the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 6, which we'll study later on in the summer, which deals with a section on worry and anxiety, which no one in here probably has ever dealt with, but at the end of that section, Jesus says this, But seek first his and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Perhaps the most convincing text in Matthew's gospel to pick up on this kingdom theme comes at the end of Jesus' life while he's dying on a cross, and they hang a sign above his head, and Matthew 27 verse 37 says this, above his head, they place the written charge against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now why is it important that we understand this kingdom theme as we begin to study the kingdom life, as we begin to answer the question, is there a life that I could live and build? Is there a life that I could pursue and invest my time, my talents, my resources into that no matter what storms come my way, I'll be able to stand firm? Is there a life? Yes, it's this kingdom life that Jesus talked about. Why is it important to understand it through the context of kingdom? Because I think too many Christians have been fed a lie that Jesus came just to die only to save them from their sins and lead them to a place called heaven, which would save them from the fire of hell. And here's the deal. He did come to do that, and that is a part of it. But Jesus came for so much more than that. So much more. Understanding that he came to establish his kingdom helps us understand how we're to live each and every day of our life. Every day you wake up, you have purpose. Every single day you get out of bed, God has something for you to do. Every single day that you're blessed with the gift of breathing another breath of life, God has something for you to do in that moment. See, Christianity is not, it's not an afterlife insurance policy. 
like too many people believe it is. And the text we're going to study today really explains that well. Christianity is not only about the life to come. Jesus doesn't only want to save you from a future hell. He wants to save you from a present storm. And the text today tells us how that works, why that works, what the purpose of that is. So beginning at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I want this to become the lens that you filter the rest of the summer through if you join us. I want this to be the lens that you say, hey, everything else we study in the Sermon on the Mount, I want to filter it through the lens of understanding the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because we need to begin with the end in mind. And the whole way through, keep the end in mind. Fast forward to the end. Beginning in chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house and it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so if there's no necessarily deep word studies here that we would jump into and the context has told us this is about living a kingdom life, how should we approach studying this passage? And I want to do it, uh, keep it simple. I want to look at two similarities between the two builders that built these houses. See, this is a parable that Jesus told. It's a story that points to a deep spiritual truth. Okay, so don't lose sight of that. In this parable, you have two builders. You've got one house that stands and one house that falls. I know I'm challenging you this morning. It's tough. <laughs> One house that stands, one house that falls. We're going to look at two similarities between the builders and then two differences between these two builders so that we can learn something about what we're supposed to do with our life when we leave this place today. First similarity is this. The first similarity between these two builders, the builder of the house that stood and the builder of the house that fell, was their goal. They had a very similar goal. I want to build a house. It wasn't different from each other. I want to build a house, and I want to build a house. They wanted to build a place that they could bring and provide for their family. They wanted to build a place where they could raise their kids. They wanted to build this house that they could bring their grandchildren home to and ultimately retire and live out their days in. Both guys had a very similar goal. I just want to build a house. And in my time in ministry, what I've learned is that um, what can happen when our goal becomes just building the house, and that is a noble goal. The text doesn't tell us that it's a bad goal to build a house. What they're really wanting to do is live a life, this parable points to us wanting to live a life of purpose and meaning. I want my life to count. I want my life to have some meaning and some purpose. And so what happens in this passage is true for us too. We all have very similar goals. I've found people have very similar goals, sometimes so similar, you can't tell the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. All right, you're pursuing so much of the same things. We want to build a house. Many of us have very similar goals. I want to live a life of purpose and meaning. I want my work to be something that I enjoy. I want to raise kids that are respectful and honor other people. I want to be able to provide for my children. I want to save up some money. I want to retire as early as possible and die as comfortable as possible. Some of you are thinking, Rob, that's not my life. You don't know me. That's not my life. That's not my goal. My goal is much deeper than that. Let me ask you this. Again, for two things. One, I didn't say your name, so don't get mad at me. But two, number two, if we watched your life, would the actions of your everyday life support my theory or yours? Would it support my theory or yours about the goals that we're setting in our life? Look, the text says it's a noble goal. Both guys had the same goal in their life. The second similarity between these two guys is this. It's the storm. The first is the goal that they set. The second is the storm. The same wind, the same water, the same rain nailed both houses, just ran right into it. 
The storms hit everyone. Nobody was escaping it. Both houses had a, had a storm hit the house. Now, I love this about the text. It doesn't say if the storm comes. It says when it comes. The storm is coming. The storm will test the foundation. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And so Christians who base their foundation on the word of God, because that's what this passage is telling us to do. Your foundation should be God's words, God's instructions. Christians who base their life on God's word don't get to escape tragedy, difficulty, heartache, frustration, and disappointment. The same storms hit everyone. The same difficulties attack all of us. The difference is not in the storm, but in the foundation that the storm meets when it hits the house. See, the wisdom and foolishness in this parable comes out not in the goal, not in the storm, but in the foundation. This truth also tells us, this difference between the two also tells us this. No amount of preparing escapes difficulty. No amount of self-help, personal development, dreaming and pursuing, work ethic, or anything else you want to fill in the blank will help you avoid difficulty, heartache, tragedy, disappointment, frustration in this life. We will all experience those things, every single one of us. The question is, where's the foundation, and have you been building on the foundation for when the storm comes? I like the way Levi Lusco says it. He's a preacher, and he says it this way. He lost his daughter, a five-year-old daughter, to a very tragic um, asthma attack. And uh, in the processing all of that, he came up with, he said this truth. He said, our foundation was on God's word, and that's the only thing that got us through that difficulty he said, when, when a storm's coming, you don't open your door and see a tornado across the street and then say, hey, somebody pour the basement. We got to get ready. You, you can't wait till the storm's there to start working on the foundation. You see, the differences between these two guys are more important than the similarities. Same goal, attacked by the same storm, but the differences made all the difference. The first difference is this, the approach that each man took to building their house. The first difference is the approach that each of these guys took when they were building this house. The first man hears the words. Now, here's the thing. I love this. Both men heard the words from the master builder. The master builder, they're asking, how do I build a house? We would be asking, how do I build my life, a life that matters, a life that counts, a life that has significance? How do I live this life in such a way that when the storms of life attack, I stand firm? How do I do that? The master builder says, this is how you do it. The first guy said, that's how I do it. That's how I'm going to build and he builds his house on that foundation, obeying the words of the master builder. The next guy comes in. How do I build a life of significance? How do I have purpose? How do I have meaning? How is my life going to count for more? The master builder says, this is how you build that life. And he says, I'm not so sure about that. You know what? I like oceanfront property, so I'm going to go over on the sand. I'm not going to build on the rock, which, hey, that's appealing, by the way. But he builds on the sand because I know better. And here's where this gets hard. Many of us have encountered people like this, or if you're really honest, it might be you. I know for times in my life it's been me, where I say, God, I, man, I just want to have this life of purpose and a meaning. I'll let you lead any area of my life. And God says, okay, well, let's talk about marriage. And you're like, well, hold up. We'll talk about everything but marriage. You know what I mean? I think I know how marriage works. I think I know how to handle my marriage. God, you don't really know my situation. So your word, master builder, on approaching marriage and, and keeping marriage strong and, and pursuing marriage, what you have to say about marriage or divorce, or that, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just going to listen, but I'll listen to everything else. So, okay, what, what, what about money? Let's talk about how you handle your money, because that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, God, you know, I, I love everything about you except what you tell me to do with my money, right? Everything is good. Don't tell me how to... What about your sexuality, despite your preferences and desires? 
Because that's dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, God, come on. That's cultural. That doesn't apply to us today. I don't have to listen to the master builder on that one. What about anger? Well, God, you don't know how bad that hurt, what that person said to me or did to me. Why do I have to forgive them? I shouldn't have to forgive them. God, if you'll punish them, I'll forgive them. We got a deal? Like, no, it doesn't work that way. But I, I want the master builder to give me a life of significance, but am I willing to listen to the master builder's instructions on how to build the life? You see, one man heard it and obeyed it. The other man heard it and said, uh, not quite, God. I think I got this one figured out. The second difference, so the first difference is in how each man approached building the house. The second difference is this, the condition of the house after the storm hit. That's a little bit different in this house. One house stands, one house falls. The man's house, his source of strength, purpose, comfort, was completely destroyed because the foundation he was building his life on wasn't able to withstand the strength of the storm. The things that he was investing his time into, the things he was investing his talent, his, his treasure, his money, his attention into, they could not withstand the strength of the storm that he was up against. So let me ask you this question, though. Do you think that when this house crashed down to the ground, that it only affected the guy that built it? I don't think so. I think when this house fell, I think it affected his family. I think it affected the community. I think it affected the rest of the neighborhood. I think it affected the friendships. Here's the deal. When we build our house on our own understanding, when we invest our uh, attitude and our goals in life about what we understand and what we want and not on God's foundation, when we're pursuing sin and accepting sin as a part of our life and we think we got it figured out, we can escape this, no big deal. When that storm comes and that house crashes, it's not all about you. It hurts the lives of the people that are around you. It devastates children and marriages and friendships and neighbors and everybody else. Your sin is not only about you. So let me get real specific. Again, I'm not seeing anyone's name. So if you get mad, that's the Lord. Uh, number one, men, let me talk to you. If you think that looking at pornography is no big deal and that you can spend as much time looking at it as you want and giving into lust and sexuality because it's not hurting anybody. It's just me. It's no big deal. And look, the accessibility in our culture tells me that there is people struggling with that in this room right now. If you're looking at that and you think it's no big deal, then please do not be surprised. Don't be surprised when your marriage begins to fall apart, your daughter dates a scumbag. Don't think that was completely separated from the foundation of lust and sensuality that you're building your life on. Get the help you need. Ladies, when you have the when you have an emotional affair with a coworker or a boss and you begin, allow them, you begin to allow them into a part of your life that was reserved for your husband and your husband alone, don't be surprised when things continue to get difficult and you find yourself racked with guilt, envy, and shame because of the foundation that you're building your life upon. Students, let me be real bold with you. If you spend the bulk of your time playing video games and binge-watching Netflix, don't be surprised when you find yourself working a job that you hate, if you even get a job, and wishing that you would have taken your education, personal development, and integrity a little bit more seriously as you grew up because of the foundation that you're building your life on. When you spend your life bitter and consistently gossiping about other people, and when you think even that that, that gossip is justified somehow, that you're allowed to speak negative about other people because of what they did, don't be surprised when other people begin to gossip about you. And when you find yourself an angry old man or woman desperately wanting to be stressed and angry-free, angry free, but you can't figure out why, you're always on the edge and treating people badly. When the foundation that you've built your life on is one of a lack of forgiveness, a pile of anger and frustration and gossip, don't be surprised when the storm hits and the house falls. 
Many of you might be thinking, but Rob, what does that really have to do with all of this? It has everything to do with it. Jesus is telling us that he wants us to leave this life well, therefore we must live this life well. And he said the only way to really live this life well is to follow the instructions of the master builder as you set your foundation and build your house upon it. You see, this text isn't too complicated. The hard part comes when you can't just sit back and listen to the Sermon on the Mount because you have to do it. Jesus said, those who hear these words of mine and do them. You know what he didn't even include in there? Hear these words of mine, dissect it, believe it, discuss it, study it, and then do it. No, he says, you hear it and you do it. You obey it. And that's hard. We don't like to talk about obedience. Don't tell me how to live my life. I'll figure this one out on my own. Don't, you, don't speak to me about obey. Obey is a cuss word. Don't say that. I can do whatever I want. I like the way that R.T. France, a New Testament scholar, says it. He says, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, it's not meant to be admired meant to be obeyed and for too many of us we sit back and we say man i love that was such a good boy jesus you, you're just so smart and then jesus said how good do it and you're like i don't know man i'll see you next week the chair is comfy i don't want to live it out it's hard i don't want to obey it that's where the difficulty sets in it's a hard one for christians we don't like the word obey some of you are probably cringed even now that i'm talking about it. you're like please just stop talking about obedience like, Rob, you Pharisee, are you really telling me, right? You're a Pharisee, Rob. Are you telling me that in order to be saved, in order for God to have saved me from my sins, I've got to live this life that Jesus told me to live? You're telling me that if I'm going to be saved, I've got to obey every little thing in the Sermon on the Mount? And here's what I want you to hear. For the rest of this entire sermon series, listen, when I say this, please hear this. No, I'm not saying that. We're not saying that you're saved or not saved based on what you do. That's not what we're saying. But let me return a thought with a thought. Do you really think, do you really think, honestly think, that God sent Jesus, his only son, to live the life that you could not live, a sinless, perfect life, to die a horrible death on a cross, to resurrect and defeat death and ascend to the right hand of the Father and commission the church to spread the good news of that truth so that you could get a get-out-of-hell-free car and continue living however you want? You really think that? I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and now I'm just going to go live however I want to live. Why? Because I'm saved, and I'm good to go. Do you think that God did all of that so we could live and do whatever we want all the time? See, Jesus didn't come just to save you, and he didn't come just to save me. He came to establish his kingdom so that we could live in this kingdom and have purpose, value, every single day of our lives. So the question, the question is, how do we walk out of here really believing that Jesus died and resurrected, not just to save me from hell in the future, but to save me from a storm today. And I think the answer is for us to start checking our foundation. You see, for many Christians, we assume the foundation's good. I'm good. My foundation's good. But assumption leads to complacency, and complacency compromises foundation. Don't compromise the foundation assuming that you're good to go. Check it. So I'm going to give you two questions that will tell you where your foundation is, tell you how to check it. Okay? Question number one. What is my initial reaction to stress, difficulty, frustration, and anything else that was not a part of my plan? It's a tough question. When I'm faced with stress, difficulty, frustration, and anything else that I didn't plan for, how do I respond to that? What's my initial gut reaction? Because that reaction will be a clue as to where your foundation is set. Now, does it mean you can't have a bad day? No. I'm, all I'm asking you to do is check the foundation. Am I always responding with negativity? Am I always responding with stress? Or am I always responding with gossip or anger and not forgiving somebody or trying to get revenge or always to be right or always to argue or always to be the best? 
What is your initial response to the things that you didn't plan to happen? Because those things that you didn't plan to happen, there's a title for them. There's a name for them. They're called storms. And when they come your way, where's your foundation set? Question number two. What would change in my current situation, my current situation right now, if instead of only hearing what Jesus said, I also began to obey it? So I didn't just hear the words of Jesus. I actually began to obey the words of Jesus and apply. How would my life change? Here's what I do with students. And you've heard this illustration before, but if you haven't, it's new to you, that's good. When I speak to groups of students, here's one of the questions I talk to them when I talk about purity. I say, hey guys, I want you to picture this. One thing, if every single human being on our planet, every single one of them, obeyed God's one command, one command about sex, that it's reserved for one man, one woman, in marriage only, and that's it, would our world be better or worse for it? Better or worse? If they apply every single human, Christian or not Christian, applied that one rule, would our world get better or worse? STDs go away and unwanted pregnancies and, and marriage problems. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on about how much. So do you think God instituted these rules, instituted these things he wants us to obey, these quote-unquote rules, or these principles for life, so he could control us and create robots that he punishes all the time? I don't think so. I think he knew that if you want a life of significance and purpose, you want your life to, to last, you want a life not just leaving this life selfishly, but I want to leave this life well, so I live this life well. You want that kind of a life, here's how you do it. And like any good dad, he's instructing his children on how to live that life. So these two questions, I want to challenge you. Mull over them. Think about them. Talk about them at the dinner table as a family. Hey, where's our foundation? Here's the thing. My wife is incredibly gifted with this, far more than I am, right? Because I, as I'm prepping for this sermon, I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And I thought, oh, no, she's got it covered. And every night our kids go to bed. They're getting a Bible story. Every night we open the Bible and she reads it. And her response is, I want this to be their foundation because she knows that kids at a young age will remember so much from their childhood. Parents, it's never too, too late to start reading the Bible with your kids. It's never too late. But let me ask this on a personal level. How much are you reading the Bible? Are you in God's word? Well, one day a week, two days a week I am. Why are you surprised by the results you're getting from that? That's the foundation you're building upon. Again, you're like, dude, you're being mean. Again, I didn't say your name. Sorry. It's intense, but it's honest. It's true. I'm guilty of this. So we have an app that we're promoting on our website right now. It's called the Read Scripture app. You can write that down, jump on our website and under resources, and you'll find it. I want to encourage you. Go get it. It just gives you uh, context of, in a video so you know what you're about to read. And it tracks your reading each day. It guides you through prayers. It helps you. It helps you. It guides you as you set the foundation to build your life upon but I want to close this way. This series is going to answer the question, is it possible for me to live a life that despite the storms that come my way and crash into my life, I can still stand? Will, is there a life that I can live like that? And the answer is yes. But if so, what does it look like and how do I get there? Jesus gave us everything we need. But I want us to begin how we ended or end how we began. And I want us to fast forward. When, when we're done here at New Hope and the Lord returns and we're done as a church, what do we want to have accomplished? And there are three things that I grabbed from this sermon that I want to make sure this church always keeps in front of us. These three things are this. First and foremost, we want to unapologetically hold firm to the truth of God's word and not be worried, scared, or intimidated by, by a world that rejects God's word and then rejects us for holding on to it. Let me say that one more time. We will unapologetically, as a church, we will not apologize for this. 
Hold firm to the truth of God's word, and we will not be worried, scared, or intimidated by a culture and a world that rejects God's word and then rejects us for holding firm to it. We will never depart from the truth of God's word. Number two, my vision is for our church that lovingly accepts all people from all walks of life, but loves them enough to not sit back and allow sin to completely destroy their lives. That sounds really courageous, but man, is it hard to do. But we're not going to apologize for it. Sin will destroy your life, and we can no longer sit back and allow your house to come crashing down because no one loved you enough to tell you the foundation was weak. Lastly, I want to see our church to be a church that when we encounter people whose houses have been completely destroyed by the storms of life, we come right up alongside them. And we say, hey, I think I know how to rebuild. But let's come over here on this rock. And let me introduce you to a builder, a master builder, who's got a far better plan that will give you a far stronger foundation. I don't know where you're at. I don't. I don't know where you're at in your walk. I don't know if you, maybe you've never encountered the truth of Jesus and you've been hit by all kinds of storms and you're ready today to say, I need the master builder to start instructing my life and I'd love to talk to you about introducing you to Jesus today. Maybe you're a Christian who's assumed the foundation for too long and the storms of life have been wreaking havoc on you and you're tired of it and you're ready. I want to encourage you, if you need someone to pray to, pray with or talk to, we would love to pray with you, talk to you after the service. I want to encourage each of us, though, as we stand and sing this next song, to use the words as a prayer, to say, God, I'm ready. I want my foundation to be built on the word of God because the life that I'm going to build for the rest of my life has to be strong enough to withstand the storms that are going to come my way. And there's only one source of strength that will last, and that's God's word, God's word. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and I'm going to close this in prayer. If during this song you'd like to talk, I don't want to make it weird. You don't have to walk down here if you don't want to. Catch me right after the service. I'd love to talk and pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. The freedom we have to meet, the freedom we have to open your word and have it instruct our lives. And God, my prayers for each person in this room that we would begin to seriously, seriously check our foundation. What are we building our lives on? And God, let us check ourselves and return back to your word and let it instruct us, let it guide us, let it empower us to live lives that matter. God, none of this is possible without Jesus living the life that we couldn't live, dying for us, resurrecting, and then empowering us with the gift of the Holy Spirit to live these, these kind of lives. And so my prayer, Father, is one of gratitude. I'm just thankful today that each day that I wake up and, and all of my brothers and sisters wake up, we have purpose and meaning and value. And that all comes from you. And so we pause here for this moment to say thank you. And we give our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.